You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are so glad that you're here with us. And if you aren't aware, I grew up in Boston and I moved to Florida right before my 14th birthday. And having just gotten here probably about a month before, uh, my family threw me a 14th birthday party. And someone in my family bought me that I didn't really know very well, but they bought me this really nice gold chain. It was thick. Uh, It was the 80s. So you got to kind of factor that in. But um, anyway, now it's kind of a weird thing. It was a really nice gift. In fact, it was a little too nice. And you know how it is. It's Christmas time. We're buying gifts for people. And you do this too, just like I do. You're buying a gift in direct proportion to the level of relationship that you have to them. Whether you realize it or not, everyone does it, right? And so, and these people I didn't really know very well. I had only met them when I moved here. And they're like, oh, this is your aunt and uncle. And uh, I'm like, really? And they're like, well, we were just friends from when we were in Cuba. And uh, so that's because you know how that, that works. So anyway, so they bought me this really nice gold chain. And, uh, so, and I, was, I wore it. Uh, and I remember bringing it, wearing it to school. And I, I had like the button-down shirt kind of open a little bit. Just a, a little bit revealing, you know. <laughs> I had the tight Edwin jeans that I was rocking at the time. Who's anybody wear Edwin jeans back? There we go. These are my people right here. These are my people. And so anyway, so I had this whole like Miami Vice slash pimp thing happening and back in 1987. And uh, so, and, and, and then, but what happened is I got home from school one day and I had been wearing this chain every day uh, for a week and, I, and my entire neck started turning green. And I thought, and I'm like, have I been exposed to gamma radiation? Am I turning into the Incredible Hulk? And uh, which it wasn't. I, I showed my mom, and she's like, oh, um, you know that super cool gold chain that these people got you? Yeah. She's like, well, that's fake. And uh, that's when I learned. That's when I learned that you could actually buy chain by the yard. I don't know. You know, I don't know if you remember that. There was a time you could buy. It's like those spindles. Like you could buy a chain for your fence. You could also buy what looked like a gold chain. And what I thought, they had spent four or five hundred bucks on me. It turned out they had spent four or five bucks on me. And it was, it was, I was hurt. I never spoke to them again. And <laughs> no, I did one time just to tell them off. So no. <laughs> so no, but here's the thing, right? Is that you only found, I only found out that this thing wasn't real because it interacted with real life. And that's how it works with pretty much everything, is that sometimes, and we've all experienced this, the things that we thought were real turned out to be fake. And, and some of us, we fell in love and we thought it was real only to find out the other person didn't feel the same way. And the thing that we thought was real turned out not to be real, and then you start wondering if anything is real. Um, some of us invest in friendships that we thought were real, and then we find out that they were just using us, and it kind of makes you wonder if that wasn't real. I mean, is anything real? Some of us have had people make promises to us only to find out that they break the promise. And it makes us hesitant to trust people again because, listen, because it looked real and it felt real and it seemed real, but in reality, it was fake. And listen, sometimes we, we, and if you've been around church for a while, you've experienced this, where there's people that are Christians and maybe even people you look up to. And at the first sign of trouble, they're nowhere to be found. And we're like, man, this person loved Jesus, I thought, but then they, they, 
at the first opportunity to take that ill-advised shortcut, they did it, and then they left us wondering if it was real. And this is the message that the Apostle Paul has for his son in the faith, Timothy. And I believe it's the message that God has for us today. Now, if you're not aware, and you saw in the opening that we were in the series that we're calling Old School, and this is actually the 12th message in this series called Old School, we're working through First and Second Timothy. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, if you haven't been with us, but First Timothy is about how the church needs to operate in a culture that's gone crazy. But Second Timothy is way more internally focused. It's, it's the tone of the book is heavier. The uh, tone of the book is very personal because Paul is sharing what many scholars call his last will and testament. And if you remember, if not, that uh, Timothy was pastoring a church in a city called Ephesus. Paul had actually started that church and left. He sent Timothy there to be the pastor. But Ephesus was the second largest church in the Roman Empire outside of the city of Rome itself. And in that culture, there was so much confusion about what was right and true and good. And Paul's words to Timothy are just so old school because they're like, as we've been saying, like latitude and longitude, that you can chart the course of your life by them. And so Paul writes these final words, and we've been taking this book a bit slower than normal because in, in a book like this, not a single word is wasted. And all of the things that Paul wants to share with Timothy before he steps into eternity is that he wants to tell Timothy how to be faithful in a world that's fake. And listen, what we need to understand, and this is so important for us, is that most of the things that we desire in life are on the other side of us being faithful. And listen, finding someone who's faithful is not an easy thing in the culture and in the times in which we're living. But what Paul is going to do is that he's going to take us to class and he's going to show us what it means to be faithful in the, in the world in which we're living. So we're going to start in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. We're going to, we left off in verse 7. We're going to pick it up in verse 8 where he says this, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, uh, there, we're going to talk about being faithful and how do I grow in faithfulness? And, and there's three ways we're going to look at that Paul's going to show us. But the first is this, if you're a note taker, that I grow in faithfulness by remembering Jesus. Now, what does that mean? If you were with us in our last message, then you know that Paul told Timothy about the characteristics that we need to build into our lives, the characteristics of the teacher, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And that's where we left off. But Paul says all of that to set up all of this that Jesus has done and how Jesus modeled all of those things for us. He had the commitment of the teacher, the perseverance of the soldier, the integrity of the athlete, and the patience of the farmer. Now, if you want to take this to an even deeper level, we can do that, where Paul says that, remember Jesus, who was of the seed of David. Why? To identify with the farmer. He was the seed, and then he was of the family of David, right? Which is what seed of David means, to identify with the athlete, that the Messiah had to come through the family of David because, according to what 
Paul said last time, the athlete doesn't win unless he competes according to the rules. So the Messiah had to come through the lineage of David. And then he says, according to my gospel, because the teacher is sharing the message of God's grace, which in verse 1 of chapter 2 is what he says the teacher has to be strong in. And lastly, he says that Jesus of the seed of David suffered, identifying with the soldier to bring the desired result for someone else's benefit. And, but the thing that's important for us is that most of us, when we think about remembering, we usually think about it in, oh, I remember, which means I didn't forget. But it's, it's, it's a little deeper than that. And if you were with us in our series in 1 Corinthians, we talked about this when we talked about communion uh, in that message in chapter 11. But the idea of remembering has, has more of, just, of a meaning than just not forgetting. Because what is the opposite of remember? Well, the opposite of remember is to dismember. And so the, to remember is to graft something onto your body or to add something there that hadn't been there or had been lost. So let me um, I- I- explain it this way is um, a few months ago, I I shared this story, so forgive me for uh, repeating it, but I had taken my family to lunch one Friday, and we were were kind of all the way out east, um, and we're parked at this, this, uh, we're stopped at this light, and we see this gentleman who's probably in his mid to late 70s walking across the street, and he has this prosthetic leg, and so my kids were asking me um, some questions about uh, prosthetic legs and our limbs and how all of that works. And I was telling them that a gentleman that age uh, probably fought in a war, probably lost his limb fighting for our freedom. And then um, how this gentleman then was able to get this um, prosthetic limb. And that's what's able to make him um, walk the way he, he once did. Now, let me kind of connect this for us, which I think is important. Because if you and I are feeling bitter, angry, fearful, lacking hope, or filled with anxiety, either you just don't believe that Jesus died for you yet, or you've never allowed those truths to be remembered. That is attached to your life. Now, listen, um, when we remember Jesus, when we remember Jesus, here's what happened. When you allow the radical love of God to attach itself to your life, When you allow the faithfulness of God to attach itself to your life and you attach your life to him, you begin walking in a way that no one else can understand. And so we have the ability, once again, someone say, I just don't understand how you're able to walk without fear. I don't know how you're able to live without bitterness. I don't know how you're able to have peace when anxiety wants to rule over you. And the reason is, is that you've taken something that wasn't attached to you, you've attached it to you, and now you've been able to walk in a way that you hadn't. And that's why I love Paul's beautiful explanation of this. And he shows us in his life how he's been, uh, in the following verses, how he's been living like the teacher, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And then uh, in verses 11, 12, and 13, Paul uh, recites what is believed by most scholars to be an early Christian hymn. Now, um, it's a little bit different for us because when we think of hymns or songs, the way, and once again, in the Western culture, uh, we do this all through rhyming, right? The last word of the line, you match it with the next word of the line or the one after, and that's how we create a, a rhythm. The way it works in Hebrew is that they don't create uh, a rhythm through the rhyming of words. They create it through um, the connecting or the juxtaposition of ideas. And so like in this one, what makes this rhyme is not so much 
the words, it's the idea that there's the negative and the positive. And it's just, this is just what's done in the Eastern culture and in the Jewish culture uh, in particular. You see this in the Psalms, of course. You see this all throughout Proverbs and uh, Ecclesiastes. And so when he says, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Now, what I want you to notice is, is when he says, if we died with him, we shall also live with him, he's saying that in the past tense. He's not talking about if we die with him presently or we die with him in the future. He's saying if we died with him past tense, we will live with him in the future. And once again, what most scholars agree is that this is speaking of baptism when we identified with Jesus at his death. We died with him and now we live with him. The Apostle Paul would talk about this specifically in the book of Romans chapter 6 when he talks about baptism. He says, or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death, just as Christ was also raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even as we should also walk in newness of life. When we go into the water of baptism, That old person is identifying with Jesus in his death, and that old person is gone. And a new person emerges identifying with Jesus in his resurrection. And it's part of the beauty of baptism. And years ago when I uh, I was baptizing my niece and nephew, and uh, my daughter Mia, who was about four or so, she said, Dad, can you baptize me? And I said, no, that you're a little too young. Let's wait till you're a little bit older, you know, maybe... Uh, eight or so, because then you'll really understand what baptism is. Well, once again, she was not happy about that, and um, she felt like, man, my dad is a pastor, and he's holding out on me. Uh, but so that night, Mia's in the bath, and she's just like leaning back in the water, and uh, her mom comes in, and Carrie's like, Mia, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm baptizing myself. <laughs> and Carrie's like, Mia, you can't baptize yourself. She's like, really? Watch me. And so... It was like the hold my beer moment of uh, Christian things. And um, I didn't say that at 10 o'clock. I don't know that really were. Anyway, that made me laugh. So anyway, move on. Some of the jokes are just for me, people. And um, so anyway, oh, I think, anyway, moving on. And so she said, but she does it. And then, uh, but the thing is, is that when Mia was about three, she used to have this little kid's Bible that we'd read, especially when her brother and sister were real, real young. And so anyway, we read as a family. And so we were having this conversation one night as a family about uh, Jesus forgiving us, Jesus coming into our lives. And so I'm like, Mia, do you want to pray and invite Jesus to to come into your life? And she was three, but she really understood what that meant. And she's like, oh, it's okay, dad. I already did that. And I'm like, well, when did you do that? She's like, I did it by myself. And I said, can you explain this, please? She says, well, one day I was in my room and I prayed to God by myself. And I said, well, why would you go and do a thing like that? And, uh, and, and I said, okay. And now I'm like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask her what I said. So what did you pray exactly? Because I figure I'm just going to pick this prayer apart and be like, well, see, that one didn't count. And now you're just going to do this with us. And so anyway, and dang it if she didn't do it right. And, uh, and so anyway, uh, and I'm like, Mia, first of all, that's wonderful. And uh, secondly, I think you're the only person who's ever led themselves to Jesus. And third, please don't do any, no more significant spiritual moments without mom or dad there. And uh, she's, she has kept that. So 
Um, but he goes in verse 12, he says, if we have died with him, we shall live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. That is, when suffering comes our way, we realize if we endure it, we'll also reign with him in the future. And then he says this, if we deny him, he will deny us. That's written in the future tense. That is, if we deny him in the future, he will deny us. And I, every time I read this, I always think of the Apostle Peter who probably sang this song and probably led this hymn that was being, uh, that was being sung. And he was probably the most famous denier of Jesus. And he was probably very happy for the next stanza, which is that says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Uh, one of the places that I want to visit someday, and I haven't gotten there yet, but I, I, I want to visit Yellowstone National Park uh, because I want to see Old Faithful, if you're familiar with that. We have a picture of Old Faithful here. And this, this geyser uh, is, is so amazing because it goes off. The reason it's called Old Faithful, it goes off every 92 minutes. It goes off. And, and I, want to think, I want you to think about this for a minute. Let's just say we all took a field trip to, um, to Yellowstone and we all sat there for like an hour, and this thing had not gone off. And we're like, you know what? Forget it. Let's just go to the gift shop. I mean, honestly, that's really more what I'm interested in when I go places anyway, like what's happening over at the gift shop. And we just said, listen, forget it. Let's just go to the gift shop, and then we're going to leave. Um, does my lack of belief stop it from going off every 92 minutes? No. No, it doesn't. The only thing that changes is my ability to experience its faithfulness. And this is the same thing that happens in our relationship with God. If we aren't faithful, God is still faithful. Our lack of faithfulness doesn't change who he is. Our lack of faith simply impacts our ability to experience the faithfulness of God. And that's the point that he's making. And the way that we experience his faithfulness is by being faithful as we remember Jesus. And he goes on in verse 14 and he says, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers, and be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And if you pause there and give me your attention, if, if number one, I grow in faithfulness by remembering Jesus, then the second thing is, according to these verses, I grow in faithfulness by obeying God's word. Now, verse 14 is funny, where he, where he says, uh, remind them uh, to not strive about words to no profit. Paul could have just said, Timothy, stay off social media. Stay off Twitter. It's the bar scene from Star Wars, uh, filled, filled weirdos and freaks. And, um, but then he gives this contrast that says, we can either get involved in arguments or we can decide to live by God's word. And there's these two guys in the church causing problems, Hymenaeus and Philetus, that were teaching weird stuff, saying the resurrection had already happened and that Jesus had already come back. And, and, and I, listen, I hear people say that oh, I don't think theology matters or doctrine matters, and I don't care, I just want to love Jesus. That doesn't work, and I'll tell you why. And while I think people are well-meaning in that regard, uh, it doesn't work. And, and the reason is, is because what you believe about God and what you believe that God wants you to do are first and foremost theological ideas. 
And so this is why Paul tells Timothy to be diligent to present himself approved to God. That's what the New King James says. I love the Old King James, this verse. He says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, rightly dividing is a word that literally means this, cutting straight. And, and that is that as teachers, we need to be people who are cutting straight the word. When we communicate to people and share with them what we believe, why we believe it, we need to cut straight. And, and that means, and this is one of the reasons why we teach the Bible verse by verse here at Calvary. And, and this one is because that's how I believe as believers we grow the best is just learning what God's word has to say. But I also like it because people who aren't necessarily Christians come in. And I'm just reading you the verses and you can read it for yourself. And we're reading it and explaining what it means. And you can see that there's no funny business happening with the text. And so, but sometimes what will happen is that people will read just one verse isolated and then they'll give it kind of the wrong implication. And uh, so let me give you one. And once again, it's not just Christians who do this. The people who aren't Christians do this too. So let me give you one that people who aren't Christians do. I, I like to call it the non-believer's favorite verse. You probably already know this one, but we'll, we'll read it. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And by the way, that's Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Uh, that's my mistake in your notes. And so now what does it mean to not judge? I mean, I, I, people, what people want it to mean is that you can just say, uh, you can do whatever you want, and people should approve of everything that everyone does, no matter what. That's what that, like, and, and we realize that that's, that's nonsense, right? And we, tr- and we try to do it. I, and I remember uh, that I, I, I've, I've done that. Um, in fact, someone was um, nice enough, and they brought donuts for the, the Calvary staff, and so, and these donuts from the, what are called, it's now called the Hollywood Donut Factory. And, uh, and I was just looking at the donuts. I'm just hanging out. And, um, and these donuts are like the size of my head. I mean, they're, they're, these, they're, they're humongous. And so um, I showed my wife when she got here. I'm like, oh, look, someone, someone's nice enough to bring donuts. And, uh, and, and she's like, you know, did, did you have any donuts? And I'm like, oh, I had a piece of one. Um, she's like, really? And I'm like, fine, I had two whole ones. You know, stop judging me. <laughs> And, uh, and so now here's what happens is that we just think, well, that, that, how, how does that, what, how does that actually work that you just, that you got to approve of it? No, listen, that's what people want it to mean. But see, when we want to cut straight, what do you need to know about that verse? Well, maybe understanding a little bit of the language would help. Maybe understanding a little bit of the background would help. Understanding a verse before it, verse after it, that would help. Understanding a little bit of the background would help. Understanding what else Jesus had to say on the same topic would help. So let me throw another verse in just to make this kind of complicated and then we'll, uh, we'll work it out. In John chapter 7, Jesus says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So Jesus says in one place, don't judge. And then he says in another place, if you're going to judge, do it right. So uh, it's almost like something else is going on here. The other thing you need to know is that in that same chapter, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about wolves and sheep's clothing. And then he says, and you will know them by their fruit. That is the actions, the words they say, the actions they take. So it's almost like it requires a judgment to be made as to whether this is good or bad or or whatever. Now, here's another piece of information you need to know. And then we're going to kind of wrap this all up in a bow uh, in a minute. But 
the leading rabbis, remember Jesus says that in verse two, that the measure that you use to judge people is what's gonna be measured back to you. The leading rabbis in Jesus' time had a teaching that God uses two measures to judge. He uses the measure of justice and the other is the measure of mercy. And so what Jesus is drawing on that understanding that people had, and he's like, do you think it's more beneficial to be judged with the measure of mercy or the measure of judgment? Because the one you use, maybe that's the one God's gonna use as well. And by the way, being merciful doesn't mean that you approve of everything that someone does. It means that you're seeking God's best for them and hoping that there isn't going to be judgment. And so we misunderstand what Jesus is saying because, once again, if we understand the language, there's many words for judge that, are tra- that in English are translated judge but are, are, have different nuances. So the word when Jesus says... Um, don't judge in Matthew chapter 7 that, that we read. He's talking about the word is krino in Greek, and it means condemnation. Jesus is saying don't condemn people. Why? Because you're not God. You don't condemn people because the same measure that you use is going to be measured back to you. I mean, that's a problem that we all have, right? Because, listen, everyone is a sinner, and what I've noticed about all of us is that every single one of us, we, when we look at our own sin um, and we pray, we're like, you know, God, maybe you could overlook this one, forgive me, you know, I'm giving it a try, I'm trying. You know, I, I don't know anybody that's ever prayed for themselves and be like, Lord, I've had so many chances, that's it. Let's just hit me with lightning and this is over, I'm done with this, right? No one does that. Everybody's like, you know, God, it's a struggle, I'm working it out, you know, I didn't buy those donuts, they just showed up and so, God, you should forgive me. I, there was no I had to walk past them a few times, and so it's really not my fault, right? And so, but what happens is, is that what would happen if we were as gracious towards others as we are towards ourselves? Wow, wouldn't that change things? But see, in John chapter 7, when Jesus says, if you're going to judge, judge with righteous judgment, the word is not crino, it's a diacrino, which means to identify That means I can look at something and decide if it's right or healthy or good. And that doesn't mean I'm condemning them. It means that I'm making a determination about that a particular choice isn't the best course of action. Now, I understand that our current culture is incapable of that level of nuance. But that's just the reality, is that if you disagree with someone, it doesn't mean you hate them, everything they stand for, and their mama. Uh, It just means like, yeah, I don't agree with that. That's it. It's like, oh, then you're my enemy. You must be destroyed. No, I'm just saying I don't agree. And, and this, is, this is what happens. You're saying, I just don't think that's the best way to live. I don't think it's the best course of action. So I'm in my kitchen yesterday, and I realize I'm making lunch, and I realize I had made lunch for everyone except me. And then, so I'm like, all right, so I'm going to make a grilled cheese. And so I'm getting the pan ready, and I'm putting the butter on the bread. And by the way, just if you learn nothing else today, some people, they put the butter in the pan and then put, no, those are rookie moves. You butter the bread, then you put it in the hot pan. That's how you toast it and make what I believe to be a world-class grilled cheese and not the garbage other people are serving. So anyway, so I'm, I'm buttering, and then I'm heating the pan. I'm getting ready to put it in. And then, and I'm looking at the bread, and I'm like, well, that little edge looks a little bit weird. It's like a, uh, it's like, you know, like a little extra flour there, but the flour looks a little weird. And so... Uh, I told my wife, and I'm like, hey, does that look, does that look odd to you? And uh, my wife just grabs the bread with her bare hands. She's like, step away! And she's like, you're not eating that! It's mold! And I mean, you would have thought 
there was a bomb inside the bread. And uh, she's like, she pushes me away. It's like, you ever see, like when Secret Service tackles the president because someone's making an attempt? That's what it was like in my kitchen yesterday. Don't even breathe it in! And so anyway, because mold is something. And, uh, and I said to her, and I'm like, how dare you judge me in my life choices? And I'm like, Jesus said not to judge. You should just support me. No, I was grateful because apparently I still can't even see that bread is moldy when I'm hungry. And so, and listen, this is the point is that sometimes when you're saying, I think this is right and it's not right, it's not because you hate them. Sometimes you point something out because you love them. And if the person isn't ready to receive it, they take it as an offense, but it's never meant as an offense. It's actually shared out of concern and love. You see, a story that many of us know um, in John chapter 8, Jesus speaking to the woman that's caught in the act of adultery. Sometimes we miss the part that's most important about the conversation. We, we hear the you know, part where Jesus says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And we think that's the overarching message. And that's part of it. But there's another part of it where Jesus has a private conversation with the woman. And look at what he says. And he says, but Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman and said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one crenoed you, condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Here's the thing that I want you to understand. Jesus doesn't condemn her, but he does correct her. He does not say, uh, where are those accusers of yours? Oh, nowhere, Lord. He says, oh, it's all good. YOLO, baby. I don't know that Jesus would actually say YOLO, baby, but work with me. And, uh, but he doesn't. He says, I'm not condemning you, but the road that you're on isn't good. So move on from this ordeal and live differently. You have a second chance. You see, that's cutting straight. So when somebody just throws the verse out, didn't Jesus say not to judge? Well, he kind of did. But once again, I think that you don't understand exactly what Jesus was talking about. And here's the thing that I think is important, is that many times when people just kind of throw these verses out and what they're trying to do is like rattle our faith, if we'll take a few minutes and do a little bit of digging, you know what, you'll fi- what we'll find is that we'll have a proper understanding of what God actually says. And what it does is it actually bolsters our faith and builds us up. And that's what he says yeah, if you're in verse 20. He says this. He says, but in a great house... There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, last thing I want to tell you is that I grow in faithfulness by deciding who I want to be. You see, Paul gives this illustration to kind of cap this whole idea where he tells us that in a, uh, a large house, the Greek word there is mega, a mega house, right? And so it's, this is the idea for everyone that's part of God's family, right? That's all part of this house. He says there's two types of vessels. There are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Some are made of costly material and used for special purposes, and others are made of cheap material and used for unsightly purposes. And there's this wonderful promise that we get, that you get to decide which type of vessel you want to be, that you can decide to cleanse yourself from the dishonorable and become a vessel of honor. And we intuitively know the difference. That's why whenever you've thrown a party at your house, you've never put the plunger on the dining room table. 
It's not because you don't need a plunger. It's that a plunger is necessary, but it's not a vessel of honor. And that we get to decide if we want to be a plunger in the great house or we want to be a vessel of honor. That is a person that God can use for the most important of assignments. You see, and I I tell my kids this, and I'll tell you this as well. I believe that God wants to work in our lives even more than we want him to work in our lives. And what it takes, in many cases, is a decision to see him work for us to become a vessel of honor. That's a decision that we make. Because that's why the promise is on us. Therefore, anyone, in verse 21, he says, therefore, anyone who cleanses himself from the latter, that is, we walk away from the dishonorable things and we embrace holiness. Now, what is holiness? Now, let me tell you, and the problem with that word is that it's been totally destroyed by our culture, where we think holiness means holier than thou, and it doesn't. Holiness is a word that simply means this, that you are set apart for a special purpose. Holiness means this, that you believe that you have a call on your life. And you don't want to do anything that would mess up the call that God has on your life. And the decision to be a person of honor makes us a more faithful person. Now, all of us are imperfect. None of us is going to reach a state of sinless perfection. But make no mistake. Some of us are letting sins and bad choices dishonor us and make us virtually unusable for the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, there are some people in the kingdom of God that all they can serve is as a warning. And listen, God's desire is so much greater than that. Listen, God really does want to bless your life and and take your life to places that you never dreamed were even possible. But we've got to cleanse our lives from the things that make us unusable. And that doesn't mean you aren't a Christian. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Of course he loves you. And by the way, being a Christian is not based on what you do. It's based on what Jesus has already done for you. But, and there is a but here, God working in your life And what God can do in your life is directly related to how much you're willing to surrender your life to him. Now, I'll close with this. In Genesis chapter 35, the patriarch Jacob has spent 20 years outside of the promised land because he's been um, evading his brother who's trying to kill him for a variety of reasons that we won't go into today. But God calls him to go back to the promised land to go back to the place where God first spoke to him and gave him the promises. And it was a place that when he was on the run and he had left his family, it was a place that was called Luz. Luz is this town in Hebrew that means separation. But as he laid his head to go to sleep, he had a dream that heaven opened and there was this ladder reaching from heaven to earth and that angels were ascending and descending and then he said this he woke up in the morning and he says this phrase he says surely the lord was in this place and i knew it not and when he after he says that look well this is in genesis 28 this early in the next morning jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it and he called that place bethel though the city used to be called luz You see, what once was Luz, separation, became Bethel, which is a Hebrew word that means house of God. And after 20 years, God calls Jacob to go back to Bethel, the house of God. And before he goes, he says something. He gets his whole family together as they're going to make their way back. And he says this, and I'll read it to you. It's in your notes. And he says, and then Jacob said to his household and all those who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. 
Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and there I will make an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them, from, hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. Listen, it's, such, it's so powerful to me that they, he tells them this and they take everything that was making them vessels of dishonor. They took all of it, they purged it, and they put it under the tree. My friends, can I tell you this, that maybe in the season that we're in that we're putting gifts under the tree, it's our opportunity to give God the one thing that he wants for Christmas, which is your whole heart. And see... This becomes our moment to give it to him. And we get to decide if we're going to live in Luz, the place of separation, or we're going to dwell in Bethel, the house of God. And I can tell you this. When Jacob made the decision, they purged all of this, and they decided to make the trek back. His relationship with his brother that had been estranged and his brother wanted to kill him, that now it was reconciled and that God took this family and took them they came back to Bethel and somehow God turned this family into a nation and God did for him what he could have never done for himself and my friend this is God's desire for you that God really does want to fight on your behalf and multiply your efforts and do a work in your life that you could never think up on your own and it begins when you decide what kind of vessel do I want to be? And communion is the place where we can come back and see how God did that already in our lives. And he died for us so we could know him, that we could experience forgiveness and have eternal life. And it's the place that if there's junk we've picked up along the way, we can just leave it under the tree for him. Not Jacob's tree, but the tree the cross where Jesus was crucified and paid for everything. See, it's the place where we can see that God has already been working even when we didn't even realize it. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. They're going to hand out the communion elements. And I'm going to invite you to hold on to them as we're going to partake of the elements together as Pastor George leads us.
Corinthians 11, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together. And Lord, we want to thank you that even when we are faithless, you are faithful. And God, we do pray that you would make us a people who are faithful. That we want to be vessels of honor that you can use for the most significant of works that you're going to do in this world. God, we want you to work in our families and in our lives and in our communities and in the people that we love and know. God, we want to be the kind of people that can be an instrument in your hand to bring all the good things that you have planned. And so God, do your amazing work in us, even now as we commit ourselves afresh and anew to your will, to your plan, and to the working of your spirit. And we prayed in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.